Okay, well, we're going to turn to Titus chapter 1, so uh, maybe, uh, maybe you've still got Psalm 100, but we're, uh, we're turning to Titus chapter 1. Uh, while you find that, let me just tell you, Titus, uh, a short letter from Paul to Titus, three chapters we're going to cover in three weeks, and then it will be October. Can you believe that? Uh, what happened there? I don't know. It was summer a minute ago. Uh, anyway, Titus, it's the early 60s A.D., about 30 years since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, sending his spirit to fan the uh, church into flame. Uh, and so far, the church has been established and led and directed by the apostles of Jesus, his official eyewitnesses of all he said and did. Uh, and there are churches now meeting in, in homes and houses in cities across the Roman Empire. It's brilliant. But there are challenges as well. The time of the apostles is coming to an end. Uh, false teachers are steering churches their own way out of selfishness and greed. And a new generation of leaders is needed uh, to care for and to guide the churches going forwards, to keep them healthy and growing with Jesus. So Paul writes to Titus, uh, a Greek guy, a follower of Jesus, who for years had been a trusted helper of Paul's in sharing the gospel and starting churches if you root around the New Testament, you'll find his name crops up in a couple of crisis situations. He's like the guy that Paul sends in when he can't go himself. And Paul left Titus on Crete, a large island just kind of southish of Greece. That's the one that isn't Cyprus. That's further, further across. Uh, Titus was there helping young churches to set healthy habits to stick with Jesus long term. What do these churches need to be healthy? And what makes for a healthy church today? Let's read. Uh, let's read Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group, and they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach 
and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. We'll finish our reading uh, there on that, that slightly confrontational note, uh, but this is God's word. Uh, this is God's word. This is also the time of year for apples. Uh, apples ripening on the apple trees, apples falling to the ground. We've got some uh, next door. Apples all over the place. Apples, uh, when they fall, of course, uh, often end up with a bruise, a little soft brown bit that well, I don't know about you, but I don't really fancy eating that part. Uh, maybe it's because I, I have a memory of biting into an apple once that looked fine, uh, looked normal on the outside, but was so bruised, so bad, so rotten in the middle, it tasted like vinegar. Uh, and it was just about as runny as vinegar as well. It didn't have that lovely fleshiness of an apple. I bit into it, and immediately my mouth was flooded with this, uh, this brown vinegar mush. It's not a great, not a great memory. Uh, pears, of course, well, pears, pears are, are worse. They'll go bad more quickly, but they don't usually, you don't usually end up biting it because one day you've gone to the fruit bowl, the pears were like rocks. You could break a window with them. The next day you pick up the same pear and your thumb goes right into it. Uh, maybe that's just in our house. Maybe we don't know how to store pears properly or something, but um, fruit goes bad, doesn't it? Fruit, of course, not the only thing that goes bad. All sorts of things go bad. Classes at school can have bullies or, or big fallings out where nobody wants to be friends anymore and they've just kind of gone bad. Hopefully, I mean, it's only mid-September. Hopefully, that's not happened just yet uh, in your schools. Uh, organizations can go bad when people cheat and lie and take money or just use other people to kind of climb to the top. doesn't matter who they trample on. Governments can go bad with decisions being made for the wrong reasons and people getting jobs they maybe don't deserve. And um, well, we'll just leave that one there. Uh, churches can go bad as well. Leaders can become nasty. Bad behavior can get covered up for the sake of, of you know, the image or the gospel or what have you. People get hurt. Um, some people in churches will pretend that they're good, godly people, but they're really like that shiny apple that's all brown vinegar underneath. Um, so some of you might have heard of, of, you know, the likes of the Ravi Zacharias scandal or Jonathan Fletcher or one or two others. Some of the extreme outcomes of unhealthy churches and cultures and organizations. And it's so damaging because if the good news of Jesus doesn't really change people, well, then it's not really worth believing, is it? Uh, if, if the good news doesn't make us into better people, then it doesn't seem to work, does it? But that was the danger on the island of Crete. Crete's a beautiful place, nice place for a snorkel, uh, but in those days it had an ugly culture. It was famous, it was notorious for lying, for violence, and for corruption. In fact, one of the Greek words for being a liar was kretizo, Cretan. Oh, you're a liar, you're, you're a Cretan. Um, you know, unlike the people of 
Malta, for example, because everyone knows Maltesers are really sweet. Um, <coughs> oh, man. If, if that's the only thing you remember from today, I'll be so depressed. Um, anyway, look, Crete, nice place and uh, ugly culture. And the churches on Crete were made up of people of Crete, uh, sinful people who had turned to Jesus. Uh, so if the people in the churches were all sick with sin, how can the churches become healthy churches? And let's be honest, since people really are the same everywhere, how can, uh, how can we have a healthy church today? Because every church is made up of sinful people. How can we have a healthy church today? Uh, Paul gives Titus three prescriptions, three medicines to help grow healthy churches. This week, chapter one, the medicine is all about leadership. Uh, healthy churches need healthy leadership. So here's the big idea of Titus chapter one. And if you want to talk to me uh, afterwards about the Maltesers thing, you better be able to quote this. Healthy churches need godly leaders to teach the truth and expose dangerous lies. Healthy churches need godly leaders to teach the truth and expose dangerous lies. Two kinds of leadership we need to have uh, to have a healthy church, according to Titus chapter one anyway. The first of two is we need the leadership of the apostles. We need the leadership of the apostles. Paul introduces himself in a pretty standard way for the time, pretty standard New Testament way. Verse 1, this letter is from Paul. Uh, verse 4a, it's to Titus. And 4b has got the usual uh, greeting of the time, grace and peace to you. Um, and Titus knows Paul, so that's all Titus really needed. You remember, they've worked together. They've, <laughs> all he needed to know was that it was from Paul. But Paul knows that his letter is going to go further than just to Titus. Paul is going to give Titus this job to do on, uh, on Crete, in the churches of Crete. And maybe people will ask Titus, how come of it's any of it his business to interfere with the churches? Why should they listen to him? Um, why should they uh, get his take on who their leaders should be? And perhaps Titus will share this leader with them, a letter from Paul, with Paul's authority, Paul's leadership qualifications. And of course, uh, the letter comes to us today with that same force. What is that? Well, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God. So if we look at Titus um, holding this letter, behind him we see Paul and his authority. And if we look behind Paul, we see God himself and his authority. This is the word of God through the servant of God. Uh, so a servant of God, verse 1, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, one who has had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. Remember in Paul's case, unusually on the, on the Damascus road in that bright light where he was commissioned to be a witness that Jesus was alive and reigning from heaven. That's who we're hearing from, an official witness and a messenger of the risen, reigning, and returning Jesus. Not just a guru, not a wise man, not a philosopher, not a poet, not even a businessman, but an apostle. Uh, what difference does that make? What's Paul's job all about? What, what's, what's this apostle's job? Well, it goes on, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So Paul preaches the gospel to everyone. He throws it out there like a, a farmer uh, sowing seed, just chucking handfuls of the gospel all over the place, everywhere he can reach, knowing that all those God has chosen will respond by turning and trusting in Jesus. And not just that initial step of faith, not just becoming converts, but becoming disciples. 
followers, people who follow the truth along a path of godliness. Not just, you know, ticket to heaven, put it in your back pocket for when you need it, but journey to heaven, preparation for the new creation, moving towards being the people he will finally make us when his work is finished forever. That's verse 2 as well. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised from the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. That's where all this is going. Healthy churches are full of heaven-bound believers. Church is not a club. Uh, We trust in Jesus and we follow Jesus because of our certain solid destination of being with Jesus. Um, So does that figure in your thoughts? Uh, Do you think about that part of your life, the eternal part? Um, That part is coming for sure, and nobody knows uh, exactly, but it's sooner than you think. (laughs) Uh, This is the Christian life, learning that God is, is rightly angry with us because of our sin, learning that he sent his own son to hang under the weight of all that anger and justice in our place, learning that if we trust in him, then he takes us and shields us and and covers us under his own body as that wrath rains down so that we can stand and emerge unscathed, unburnt, now forgiven and free as he has borne the brunt of it for us. And so we turn and we trust in Jesus and we thank him and we put our hopes in his promise of eternal life with him. Life that begins now but finds its fullness when he ushers in his new creation. And until then, we learn about him and we learn to live for him because we're so thankful to him. That's the gospel. That's the message of the apostles to the world. A message, verse 4, of grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So before we go one step further, do you know that grace? That blessing, that favor, that love, that kindness that you could never deserve or earn. Quite the opposite, God's love to the unlovely, to the unlovable, to to you and to me. Do you know it? Uh, Have you asked for the forgiveness he offers? For the the peace with a God you didn't didn't know and you didn't want to know before? Have you asked for the, the freedom from the slavery uh, to all that you don't want to be anymore. Uh, The life that begins here and now and stretches into sinless, uh, blissful eternity. Turn in faith to Jesus. Confess your sin to God. Appeal for mercy because Jesus died for you and trust his promise and his assurance of forgiveness and freedom and life. This is what we need the apostles for. This is the true gospel. We need this truth. We recently visited the Falkirk Wheel. Uh, I thought there'd be some uh, cheering from one of the rows. Um, The Scots are in the house. Um, We recently visited the Falkirk Wheel. uh, Just, uh, oh goodness, where is it? Where's Falkirk? It's kind of north of Glasgow, up the M74 or something. Become the guy who knows where things are because of the motorway numbers. Um, It's the only machine of its kind in the world. Uh, connecting two canals, sorry, I was, used to be an engineer, let me geek out for a minute, uh, c- connecting two canals with 32 or 35 meters of height difference, something like that, 
eight stories or something. And the wheel holds two giant bathtubs, each capable of holding a canal barge and with a surprisingly simple set of gears and a few motors, it rotates them in perfect balance, lowering the one and raising the other, uh, all for the same energy it takes to boil eight kettles of water. Um, the wheel replaces 11 old traditional canal locks that used to be navigated, of course, one at a time, uh, and reduces a journey of about 10 and a half hours up that hill to five and a half minutes. Uh, it's brilliant. It's, it's genius. Uh, we don't need the old technology. We don't need the, the day's journey up the hill in the boat. We, we've got this new solution, this innovation. But when it comes to navigating life, we want to go right back to the source. If we're going to put life and death in the hands of Jesus, I don't know about you, but I want to hear from those who knew him, who heard him, who saw him, who saw him rise from the dead, who saw him ascend to heaven, or like Paul here, who met him speaking from heaven. There might be all sorts of new ideas and innovations about life and death and eternity. We need to hear from Jesus one who's been through death, and we need to hear from the people he appointed. We need the leadership of the apostles. Paul, uh, it, Paul's a godly leader. He's a servant. He's a messenger. His role is to preach the hope of the gospel and call God's elect to faith through the knowledge that leads to godliness. We need that leadership of the apostles. And the people of Crete needed Paul's leadership as it came to them through Titus, uh, Titus was, was going to act on behalf of Paul. Look at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so far from, far from hoarding power or micromanaging uh, the way a, a workplace boss might do, if you've ever had a micromanager, uh, Paul is setting up churches with leaders of their own from within their own ranks who will care for each church by keeping the true gospel front and center. Titus is like the middleman. He's a godly leader. He's Paul's apprentice. He's his spiritual child, I guess, from verse 4. So maybe it seems that Paul uh, was the first person to kind of tell Titus the gospel and lead him to faith. Titus's role in Crete is to straighten out some unfinished business, this appointment of elders for the churches of of Crete. Uh, Titus is like, um, he's like a crutch supporting the churches as they learn to stand on their own feet. He's like, uh, he's like those steel um, support columns or bars you might have had in your kitchen if you decided to knock a wall through to another room and you needed to hold the, the next floor up before you got that steel beam in. Titus is the guy who's holding the floor up, holding the ceiling up until the churches can get strengthened uh, from within. Um, and we some see an ongoing role here, by the way, for the likes of a bishop, someone from outside the congregation, someone with a lasting responsibility for a network of churches. I kind of see the opposite. It looks more like an interim role. Titus seems to be a caretaker manager uh, there for a short time until the long-term leaders are appointed from within. Um, that's, that's when the unfinished business will be finished, uh, when local leaders are in place. Uh, anyway, what will they do? What will these elders do? Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. 
So again, elders will keep the churches connected to the apostles. Uh, They're not going to innovate. They're going to go back to the official sources and the leaders of the church of Jesus. Healthy churches need godly leaders, and that starts with the leadership of the apostles, uh, the trustworthy message, the truth that leads to godliness. Um, So before we get to to number two up here, um, how are we all feeling about another year of church life as we get started up again uh, this September? Sunday services, maybe, uh, maybe some Bible studies through the year, some reading groups, uh, the women's ministry course as well, uh, bringing the Bible to bear on our heads and our hearts and our hands. Are you up for that? Are you excited for that? Are you indifferent about it? Bored with it? You fancy something new? You want, you want something innovative or just something easier? Let's not think that way. This is the real deal. This is the real stuff. This is uh, the the truth that leads to faith, to godliness, to life. This is the stuff from before the dawn of time. Uh, This is the deep magic, if you're a Narnia fan. (laughs) This is the promise of God who does not lie. It's a bit of an odd phrase, that, isn't it? But just as an aside, truth is a big deal in this letter. Cretans were liars. Seems harsh to say, but it seems to have rung true. They seem to say it about themselves through this uh, poet prophet. Uh, Cretans were liars. The god of Crete, Zeus himself, was a liar and a seducer, smooth talk, but false and selfish. The true God is different. His word is truth, truth and life. Let's get into this year with an appetite for nothing but the real deal, the truth that gives life, the truth that leads to godliness. That's what we need for ourselves. It's what we need for uh, the world around us. It's what we need to give and to offer and to spread. So let's open our Bibles and let's get on our knees and pray that the Spirit of God would do the work of God in the people of God by the Word of God. We need the leadership, the testimony, the message of the apostles. So healthy churches uh, need godly leadership. For that, we need the leadership of the apostles through the books of the New Testament. Uh, might not come as a surprise. We're going to stick close to the Bible again this year. Uh, so we need the leadership of the apostles. And the second of two, we need the leadership of godly elders. We need the leadership of godly elders. Let's speed up a little bit because uh, we haven't covered that much yet. But let's speed up. Elders are needed. That's the unfinished business on Crete. Verse 5, I left you there that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appointed elders in every town, as I directed you. So Titus already knows this. He knows this is his job. He's got this on his to-do list. Maybe this is the evidence that the letter is at least partly for the sake of others, like us, reading it over Titus's shoulder. Paul's actually already told him to get this job finished, to to iron out those last creases uh, by appointing elders in every town. Elders, plural, in every town. Uh, Crete, Crete was a real kind of transport hub, you know, every, it was an island, so every city is a seaport, a great place from which the gospel could spread. Um, Churches met in homes in those days, of course, whatever way they were organized exactly, multiple elders were needed uh, for each church or for each little network of house, uh, house churches. So elders, and are they, what are they, the eldest? Well, not necessarily. What are they, the most able? Not necessarily. Uh, Well, who then? Well, character comes first. Character comes first. 
I think Epimenides is the poet in verse 12. I was told that by others. I'm not overly familiar with Epimenides myself. But um, he's the guy. He's, he says Cretans are always liars. He himself was a Cretan, which has led some people to see a bit of a paradox. Is he telling the truth in that statement? Uh, I don't want to fry your brain with that or distract you with it. But he's from Crete, and he says Cretans are always liars. But these Cretans who become elders in the churches, they're to be very different. Verse 6, elders must be blameless. Now, that can't mean morally perfect, but it must mean exemplary, free from any obvious sin, uh, good examples to follow, the, the sort of men you wouldn't suspect of wrongdoing. Verse 6, the husband of but one wife. Elders don't have to be married. Paul himself wasn't married. He wrote about the advantages of that in, in serving the Lord in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, and that has its own applications for single men. Uh, but for married men, how you treat your own bride matters if you would consider treating and caring for Christ's bride. Uh, verse 6, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Again, uh, men without children are not excluded, but parenting and eldership are not that different at times. They're about taking the responsibility and taking the lead in guiding a family uh, towards maturity. And so elders will be men whose, whose head and heart and hands are involved in raising and growing and shepherding others, perhaps at home with their own children if they have them, or perhaps elsewhere in the church. They're already shepherding. That's how we're going to spot who would be a good fit for uh, being an elder in these churches in Crete. They're already doing a bit of shepherding. Verses 7 to 8, uh, think about a boss in the workplace, your line manager or the, the person who directs your work and, and kind of assesses how well you're doing. Or think about a teacher or a, a tutor in school or college. Imagine verse 7, that that manager, that teacher, that tutor is overbearing, a real bully or, or, or a micromanager who's always getting at you and nitpicking or, or quick-tempered, always flying off the handle or, or comes in hungover or smashes the odd coffee mug or computer mouse, which of us hasn't wanted to crunch a computer mouse at times, but, uh, or, you know, throws your paperwork back at you or who's only in it for the money, doesn't really care about you or, or the company, but just the paycheck. How much worse would all of that be in the church? Now imagine that instead your boss, your teachers, your tutors, your elders are hospitable. People who make time and space to look after you. Self-controlled. Yes, there are frustrations and disappointments and hurts and temptations, but these are steady, reliable people. Upright, honest, full of integrity, godliness, discipline. That's what we need, isn't it? We need the leadership of godly elders. Uh, we could say more on all of that, that but that's what they must be like. It's, a, it's not a job description first, it's a character description. Character comes first. But what must they do? Verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So love the true gospel of Jesus and thereby help others to follow him and stand up to those who want to steer people away from him. Because there are people like that. See, there are challengers, pretenders, local leaders in the churches of Crete who are very happy to step up to lead. 
but leadership is not where they belong. Verse 10, they're rebellious. They're talkers. You know the sort of people who are real quick thinkers. You know the sort who can, uh, who can think quickly enough that they don't have to stop talking <laughs> as they think. And it's really hard to get a word in edgeways. And by the time they've finished, you can't remember all the things that you wanted to come back and, and contradict them on, all the things that they've said that were wrong. And, and they're deceiving people. Especially there seem to be natives of Crete who have a kind of Jewish background who are teaching that uh, to be a true Christian, you have to become a Jewish Christian. That's the circumcision group, and uh, maybe they're pushing that as, as a kind of gateway to real uh, belonging in the church. Uh, can't be a real Christian man without that. Probably uh, pushing other laws and traditions, just like little Pharisees in the church, Jewish myths, verse 14. But verse 11 says they only want to lead the church for money. Somehow or other, it's a little hard to imagine, but somehow or other, it's good for business. Now, maybe they've got their hand in the offering bag, I don't know, or maybe it's just kind of good for their reputation. Uh, they're going for that promotion, uh, and it, it's good to put on the CV uh, that they've got this leadership in other spheres of life. But verse 15, one way or another, their minds are corrupt. Their consciences as well should be sore and smarting, stinging from their own sin, but they're kind of unplugged. Consciences are unplugged. Uh, the alarms are not sounding. Verse 16, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Strong words. But if Paul is watching from afar while these people dismantle churches, then he's exactly right. Back in, uh, it just reminds me, back in 2015, uh, 20, uh, uh, 2016, um, do you remember Hillary Clinton referred to Trump supporters as a basket of deplorables? It uh, was not a remark that helped win over any would-be voters or uh, sway any new friends. But these false elders, these liars, these fakers, they really are. They really are the deplorables. This is super serious. And it's ultra urgent. Titus needs to get some genuine, mature leaders in place here and fast. We need the leadership of godly elders. Uh, so look, as we wrap up, um, obviously this chapter has a lot to say to those who are already elders. Uh, it has a lot to say to those who would consider serving as elders to, and, and also to those who would be involved in the process of appointing elders. What are the characteristics and qualifications to look for? What are those to avoid? What might we find ourselves kind of subconsciously looking for in a candidate that just doesn't feature in, in Paul's priorities? What, what are we looking for that just isn't on his radar? So we need to be corrected perhaps by, by his priorities uh, of course, most Christians don't become elders over the course of their lives. So how, how, apart from those occasional times where elders are appointed or when they're kind of held to account, how, how apart from those times can we live in the light of this chapter, just in the ordinary times of church life? Uh, that's where I want to kind of land uh, today. Uh, so some ideas for you. Support the elders of your church. I wonder if you, I wonder if you uh, read this chapter and think, you fancy being an elder in the churches of Crete. 
I do not. <laughs> I do not read this and think, Crete must be a great place to serve in those days. Fake Christians, uh, fake, fake leaders uh, pushing in, uh, people who ought to know better kind of falling for it, falling for what they're selling and still more people there to build up in the faith. That's a lot of plates to keep spinning and just a lot to do. There's no church in the world where being an elder was an easy job. I mean, it's a, it's a job with incredible joys and privileges for sure, but it's never easy. Support your elders. How can you do that? If you want to go away from this with just one question, that's probably a great one. How can you... Uh, support elders like this in your local church will probably be better for you to think about that than for me to just uh, splurge ideas but for one thing if their job is to build you up with sound teaching and to make uh, to make sure that mistaken and, and false teaching and fake teaching and error strewn teaching goes in the bin then let them teach you the bible and Get an appetite for the Bible. Get stuck into the Bible, to the truth that leads to godliness. Get stuck in and grow as a follower of Jesus. You will make any elder's life a joy uh, doing that. Obviously, also pray for your elders. Pray for their hearts and their walk with the Lord. Pray for their wives who see the strain uh, of church life. Pray for their children that they wouldn't be put off Christ by the toll uh, of one family on their own family. Um, wh what else? Hold your elders to the standards of Titus 1. Look for men like this, encourage the men in this, and hold the men to this. Uh, and, and finally, aspire to be like an elder. Every qualification for eldership is something that we are all commanded to work on in our own lives as Christians. It's not just the elders who are supposed to love what is good and be hospitable and self-controlled and all the rest. It's all of us. We're all called to Christ-likeness. Uh, be like an elder. Imitate them as they imitate Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Fathers, raise your children. And every one of us. Think how you could do a little shepherding in church life. Spur someone on in the faith. How can you do that today? We're all here, uh, or those of us who are here are here. <laughs> uh, church is like one of those families of old with, um, you know, like 15 kids. Okay, so maybe you've heard of John and Charles Wesley, who sing some Wesley hymns sometimes. Uh, they were two brothers, I think, and their mum had uh, 19 kids. 19 kids. Bless her. Uh, now, there was one dad and there was one mum, but I bet some of those older kids did some parenting as they grew up. You know, I bet when they, when they hit their teen years, they were wiping a few little dirty faces and feeding a few hungry mouths and telling a few calming stories. That didn't make them a parent, but they were imitating the parents and the helping and serving and everything mucking in together. Maybe you won't be an elder, and that's fine, but church is like one of these giant families. It's easily big enough for lots of us to help raise those who are spiritually younger. In fact, uh, mo more on that next week as Paul casts a vision, uh, not just for the leadership of the local church, but for the whole culture of a church. We'll come to that next week in chapter, chapter two. But for now, healthy churches need uh, godly leaders to teach the truth and expose dangerous lies. For that, we need the leadership of godly elders to keep us listening 
to the apostles because they're the ones who bring Jesus straight to us, who bring us the hope of eternal life and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Why don't we pray about these things and then we're going to consider the leadership of Jesus himself uh, as we share communion. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the medicine that you've provided for the health of your church. Thank you for being the God who does not lie, but who reveals the truth that saves and the truth that leads to godliness. Thank you for the apostles, for their courage, for their commitment, their consistency and integrity, that we can give our lives to the Jesus we know through them. Thank you for the leadership of elders, encouraging us to stick with this same Jesus and to grow up in him. Help us to keep close attention to your word day by day in our lives and in our church, that we would search out your will for how we are to live and grow, honoring and loving the Lord Jesus, shepherding others for his sake, bringing glory to him and taking his love to the world. And we pray in his name. Amen. Oh,